Hey, folks, we just want you to know that all the views and opinions expressed on Military Historians or People Too are ours and that of our guests. They do not represent any organizations, employers, and other entities with which we and our guests may be affiliated or associated. Okay? Got it? Enjoy the show. Ricardo. Hola, ¿qué tal? ¿Qué, ¿Qué, tal, ¿Qué tal, mi amigo? <laughs> oh, man, I'm tired. I need a drink. Well, the last <laughs> thing you need is someone habla español to you. <laughs> <laughs> so you feel fine to habla all you want there, part. <laughs> but I will do my best not to parlez-vous francés and so on and so yeah, on. Yeah, well, that's probably, that's probably best. That's probably best. Um, do, you, uh, do you have any shout outs, Bill? Uh, yeah, shout outs to, uh, first of all, it's good to be back because we it haven't is. done this yeah. in a while. And it's December was, was when yeah, the last December time we did this. Yeah, December is the last one we did. And here we are at, you know, early February. And yeah. I was trying to, you know, half of me was kind of trying to remember like, okay, how, how do we edit? What, where's the, yeah. where's the thing that we do the thing with? So, but it's all coming back a little bit. At least I remember to hit the record button. You did. Uh, for, I'm proud for, of for, you. For yeah. So, but yeah, so shout outs to uh, all university presses, um, especially the, the the fine people at, at UNC Press who published a book called Feeding Washington's Army, mm-hmm. Surviving the Valley Ooh. Forge Winter of 1778 uh, by today's guest, uh, Ricardo Herrera. Uh, so we'll, we'll introduce him in a minute. But yeah, shout out to obviously our friends out at, at Lawrence at the Ranch University Press of Kansas. Hope everything's going well out there. Maybe some daffodils are starting to bloom there like they are here. Coming out of winter, maybe. I don't know. And, you know, whatever podcast you listen to, support them. Uh, however they offer, you know, support. Just if at the very least, just share uh, things like that. That always helps us out to get, get more listeners and get the word out. So that's kind of all I got, I think. Okay. I don't really, I don't have any shout outs uh, in particular. Yeah. My, my oh, dentist... hey, one more, one more uh, shout out to the cultural experience uh, in the UK, uh, Ashley Truluck and Alan and Marta and all the, all the people there. Uh, I was the history guy on a, on a Vietnam war tour with them oh, yeah. in early January and just really had a delightful time and, and got to see some places I had not never, never thought I'd see like DMB and Fu and Quezon and at back and places like that. It was really Really cool to be part of it and had a, had a good group. And uh, so just shout out to them. All right. Well, uh, today we are talking with uh, Ricardo Rick Herrera. Rick is a visiting professor in the Department of National Security and Strategy at the U.S. Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, how many Carlisle people are we up to now? This four? I think we got a lot of Carlisle people. Yeah, yeah I, think I think it's I think- four. I think yeah. Rick is four. Yeah. Yep. Um, he received You're not his talking B- about my behavior, are you? No, no, not <laughs> as far. No. <laughs> he uh, he received his BA from the University of California, Los Angeles, and his PhD in history from Marquette University. Before joining the War College, Rick was professor of military history in the School of Advanced Military Studies, good old SAMS, at the U.S. Army Command and General Staff College in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. He also served for six years at the Combat Studies Institute of the U.S. Army Combined Arms Center in Fort Leavenworth. Rick has had a long career in professional military education, but he started off as an assistant professor of history and later chair of the Department of History and Geography at Texas Lutheran University. He was also assistant professor of history at Mount Union College in Alliance, Ohio, 
And before getting into that, he served as an armor and cavalry officer in the United States Army. Rick is the author of uh, Feeding Washington's Army, Surviving the Valley Forge Winter of 1778, published with UNC in 2022. His first book, though, was Liberty and the Republic, The American Citizen as Soldier, 1775 through 1861, and that one came out with New York University Press in 2015. Rick is currently editing a collection of letters and a journal tentatively titled A Most Uncommon Soldier, the letters and journal of Edward Ashley Bowen Phelps, 1846 through 1848, and that one's going to be done with the University Press of Kansas. And in addition to those uh, those books, uh, and edited works. He has published uh, a lot of chapters and articles. Rick has received several significant research fellowships. I was jealous when I started looking at all these. In 2021-2022, he was a visiting fellow at the, you're going to have to say this for me, is it Maynooth? Yeah, Maynooth. Maynooth University Arts and Humanities Institute at the National University of Ireland. He was a residential research fellow at the Fred W. Smith National Library for the Study of George Washington in Mount Vernon, Virginia back in 2016-2017, and Rick held a, a residential research fellowship at the David Library of the American Revolution in 2014-2015, and he was a Society for the History of the Early American Republic slash Mellow Faculty Research stipend holder uh, back in 2005. And I'm perhaps most envious that in 2020, he was elected a Fellow of the Royal Historical Society. And I want to know how how yeah, how that how the how's that happen? I, yeah. I that's something I want. I want to get something we need to correct. Do we need to call them? <laughs> <laughs> they will let anybody in. <laughs> so welcome, that's Rick. That's really cool, um, though, man. We, yeah, we, on that. We yeah. uh we appreciate you taking the time to talk to us, especially after uh, a, a day at work. No, thanks for having me on. Um, and uh, before I begin running my mouth and proceeding to get in trouble. Uh, nothing that I say ref reflects the views of the U.S. Army, the federal government, the Department of Defense, U.S. Army War College, or any of the satrapies of the federal government. It's all my own fault. So I think I've covered all the boilerplate. Yeah. Plus today, I'm off the clock. I'm going to enjoy an adult distilled beverage while we chat, gents. That's Good allowed. man. That's Good allowed. man. Yes, we encourage. Well, tell um, us what you're drinking. Mm, it's... Um, rare bird from wild turkey oh okay yeah nice one a uh, good price point um got some real depth complexity i will write that, that down damn it i deserve it yeah so uh this is is really about you uh we are interested in your work obviously but uh we want to know how you got where you are so tell us where you're from what your parents did uh how you got into history oh boy okay so i i am a native angelino which for those who don't know, that's somebody who's from Los Angeles. And um, my, my family, my family, some portion or, or the other has been there since the 18th century. Oh, wow. So, so uh, wow. I, I, you know, and as well as in, um, you know, Southern Arizona and uh, Western and West Texas, Southwest Texas. So I'm descended from some of the original thieves. Um, <laughs> and I will not, and I will not bother to go over what, I fear that some of my ancestors from the Iberian Peninsula did with some of my other ancestors who are on the receiving end. Um, I'll leave that to your your more prurient imaginations. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm a native Angelino. Um, my folks are originally from Arizona. My mother from Phoenix. Father was born there as well, but he grew up in L.A. Uh, other parts of the family were from California already, so. Basically, all from the what is now the American Southwest, we became 
um, in, in large part, American citizens because uh, my ancestors happened to lose a war. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. mm, well, you know, hey, so you know what? Losing a war is not always bad. I'm very happy to be an American citizen. Uh, thanks to uh, 1848, when the border moved and made a run for my family, not the other way. Not Taco Bell. Where'd your folks do? Oh, uh, my, my mother was a uh, was for much of her, her time a legal secretary. Um, so I, I have a tremendous regard for administrative assistants, secretaries. Um, they without them, nothing much happens, nor should it. They are here, here. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And in Absolutely. fact, I, if I can put out a shout out to um, the godmother of Sam's, who retired shortly after I left, and John Curatola and Mark Calhoun left. Uh, Candy Ham or Candace Ham. Uh, Candy is a wonderful woman, and um, I can't say enough good about her. She is fantastic. Yep. But um, yeah, so she was, she was a secretary. My father was in the uh, car business, um, so not much really there to say. So what did what did he do? What what did he do specifically? Let's see. What did he do? I mean, he he been for a while. Uh, been. I mean, we're talking Fast and Furious, or or <laughs> like legit. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think some of his friends may have imagined they were fast and furious. Um, <laughs> no, he, uh, he 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 had at one point he owned a, a Toyota dealership. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Oh okay. He still yeah. Uh, so so he, he was he had been in that um, various other adventures, misadventures. Now, so, if he had a Toyota dealership, what, what years would would that have been? What decade? In the seventies. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> you know there was some cool Toyota stuff. Yeah. There yeah. was some cool shiz in the Toyota showroom in the 70s. Oh, you're, th you're, you're thinking right? of Celicas and probably the uh, 280s, the Land right? Cruisers. Yeah. Land Cruisers. Land yeah. Cruisers, yeah. 280, though, was, that was a Datsun. Oh, yeah, that's 280, right. 280Z. Yeah. Yeah. Then, be then it becomes Nissan. Yeah, okay, my bad, my bad. No, no, yeah, no. the Land Cruisers, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, um, you drive around in one of those, you're starting to go, Guinness mas macho, but yeah. <laughs> or however you say that in Japanese, I have no idea. Did you growing up in LA? Uh, uh, you know, obviously LA has changed a lot, but uh, did you mm -hmm. kind of find that you were, uh, you know, running into into celebrities of the of the day all the time as a kid, or uh, pretty removed from that stuff? Um, let's see. I... And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking, because your dad was a, a car dealer, you you may have had you know people showing up uh, to to buy stuff there. The only person that I met at the dealership was Woody Strode. Oh, Woody Strode. Yes. Wow. Yeah, he had um he had a, an aged um and if the I professionals. remember red Corolla, but or was it a Corona? I can't remember. But yeah, I mean he you know he was he played Sergeant Rutledge. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, he was he was in Spartacus. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I mean, but so I thought it was really cool to meet him. But um let's see. So yeah, that that's about it. But when I had young when I was much younger. God, I was I used to stay spend a lot of time in my grandmother's house. She lived in Boyle Heights, which is part of the larger East LA. And um playing with some of the neighborhood kids. And there's a um, gosh, it was a third street bridge. And if you if you were to see it, you would probably recognize it. It's got these these graceful arches. It was built in the uh probably the 30s. Um, but in any case, um there's a hill and under underneath a street that runs uh, perpendicular to it underneath. And we would, um, well, we'd frankly, we'd swipe 
shopping carts and pop the wheels off and make go-karts out of them. Uh, yes yes my attempt at being as, a, as one does yes it's my attempt at being a young hoodlum but uh, we're racing down there and um one day we saw a film crew there you know a couple of um what looked like a lapd black and whites and um it was um they were filming an episode i think it was called police story yeah yeah and yeah i met ed, ed asner <laughs> oh wow yeah so if you ever see ed asner I met him on that episode. Uh, <laughs> who else? Then um, I worked in a tobacco shop as an undergrad for for a little while. Who did I meet? I met um, Flip Wilson. Oh, Ted- I you know the Flip Wilson show was my yep. favorite thing as a kid. Ted I love the Flip Wilson. Ted Knight. Yep, and um, the Governor. Are you my pal? Oh you yeah, met, yeah. Yeah, so I met um, Arnold Schwarzenegger before. Um, you know, he became really well known, but I mean, it's you, you see, you see folks like that and it's just no big deal. Sure. So, so how did you get into history? Um, you know, uh, you clearly know a lot about your family's history. Did it start with wanting to know where you came from or, or something else? Well, it, it was obviously for the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, I blame my, uh, paternal grandmother, um, her full name, it was Victoria Aurora Bildosela Herrera. So my, my non Aurora, her, her her maiden name was Bildosela, which is Basque. She grew up. She was born in 1907 in Douglas, Arizona, and I used to love, love listening to her stories about growing up uh, on the border, um, about her grandfather who or her father rather, who'd been a contractor, I believe, a general contractor, but she grew up you know, on the uh, the border through maybe the 20s. I'm not sure. And that's and, still uh, kind of Wild Westy. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, I mean, you know, you know 1916, 17, right. there, was, was a, there was a cavalry post, uh, a, a camp established because of the cross-border raids. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so I thought, wow, how cool. My grandma, and I didn't know about this then, but I thought, wow, I wish I could have asked my grandmother about that. But um yeah. She grew up on on the border, and she's just telling me stories about growing up, what it was like, what a troublemaker she was as a child. Um, but one day, when I and I must have been about um, nineteen sixty eight, I'm guessing sixty nine. So I was um, what seven or eight years old, something like that. She made a com- an offhanded comment. They stole it from us. Who are they? Who's us? And as I, you know, I didn't really do much I was at the time, but as I reflected on it years later and started actually looking into books and things, she was talking about the Mexican War. And so she was talking about yeah, the Mexican Depression and the fact that uh, the U.S. had gotten where her part of where her family was from through the session. Um, although actually uh, Douglas, I believe, may have been part of the uh, Gadsden purchase. Nonetheless, you know, she, as far as she was concerned, um, the, the U.S. conquest was a little bit illegitimate, which I, I, just, I find really fascinating, given that she was, a, she was born in the U.S. She was an American citizen. Her father, who was born in the 1870s, was from Riverside, California. You know, so, it, you know, so still these lingering feelings. Her mother, though, um, my great-grandmother, whom I met, um, she she was suffering from Alzheimer's at the time, 
but um, she was born, I think, in 1875, 1876. And so I, you know, it's like, okay, I, I can say that I have met somebody from the 19th century. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. So first of all, let me, let me say that the Gadsden purchase was a legitimate real estate transaction. Oh yeah. Yeah, of so course. I just, wanna, I just want to clarify that for everybody. Well, yeah, of course. Anything, um, to do, anything to do with Santa Ana is always legitimate. Exactly. You know, you know 13 and, and a half million, right? Under the yeah. table. Yeah, um, Santa Ana is, and at the risk of getting in trouble, I, whatever, um, and something that I've said to generations of students at SAMS, Santa Ana is something like, is is akin to the herpes of Mexican 19th century history. He keeps popping up popping when up. you don't want it to. It's really inconvenient. <laughs> Not that I know or had experience with both. <laughs> oh my God, I'm going to take, take a sip of water. <laughs> oh man i think i'll use that in class yeah everybody drink by okay all, that was good yeah, by all means by I all means that. i expect to be footnoted yeah yes, give you that. exactly no we'll give you a full full uh full site there so so how what, you how do you decide to go to ucla other than it's there i i, tra I, tra I transferred in uh, i i uh, honestly i had abysmal grades as i have no idea how i got in uh <laughs> But um, I, I got in. I'm glad I did. Um, I, because particularly since it was not that other school, the Font of Evil and the City of Angels. Ah, yes. Yeah, those people. USC. Yes. Boo. But yeah, uh, yeah. The when, condoms, when, right? Yes. <laughs> the toe jams. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so yeah, gra graduated from there. Got commissioned in 1983. I had. Um, so you did ROTC through there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, I was not one of the bright kids. I was not a scholarship student. Yeah, I was a pretty, I, I did not let college interfere with my education. Practically, <laughs> I, didn't let it, I, edu I did not let getting an education interfere with my going to college. Gotcha. Yep. Um, so I, but I uh, commissioned in 83, uh, went to my officer basic course in 1984. Went after that, went to Korea, served uh, in, a, in a tank battalion, um, did my platoon leader time there company executive officer um that was that was really good duty for a young lieutenant and then uh off to off to fort hood where i served uh, in uh, an aviation brigade headquarters I, had, I still had no idea why i was there i mean like flies whatever um uh but um so then i then i went to the uh, uh divisional cavalry squadron which was at the time first squadron ninth cavalry so if you've seen apocalypse now you know, yep. first of the ninth, yep. but we were not an air squadron. Um, but then we reflagged as one seven. So Gary Owen, right. Which is Irish for come beat us down. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it's Irish for come kick our ass, but that might not be right. Yeah. There's oh, full of irony yeah. there. Yeah. 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 So how, so when, when did you get out? Army? Um, I, I got, um, I got off active duty in 87 and I kind of, hovered around i mean i i toyed for a while with going back I, i'd actually been for a while been a short time in the california california guard um served in the troop a first squadron 18th cavalry and i went back and i was made a troop xo but it, the time demands were just way too much i, I was i was out i was tr i was trying to get a job and all those other things that you need when you're when you're in civil life I had absolutely no skills whatsoever. Um, it's like, okay, I've got a history BA and I've been an armor and cavalry officer. That doesn't really translate all that well into reality. 
Um, I mean, there were great skills that, that I did learn from that, but um, basically, I basically did not, I decided not to do that and was in the individual ready reserve for a little while. But um, I, I never rose above captain, which is probably far above my station anyway. I was going to say Marquette is a is a pretty big jump from from California. How did how did you end up there? Well, I I, I met um, Saint Dolora, my wife. Oh, okay, Texas yeah, Europe. yeah. Anybody? It's amazing. Who's... It's amazing how often that's the answer. <laughs> what Saint Dolora? No, that oh, I would. You know, I, I met, met, I I met, met my, my wife. wife or yeah. my husband wife. or whoever. Yeah, and then right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, no. We, uh, we 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 met we met in, on, on a blind date. Um, when I was um, when I was stationed at Fort Hood, and um, wow, that's like pre-internet, cool. Yes, yes, <laughs> telephones. Um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we we met on a blind date. Um, love at first sight. Uh, she moved out to California with me. She's actually from Wisconsin, by the way. So if, and if, okay, if, so that's if, if you've ever seen Fargo, it's like mm-hmm. spending time with my in-laws. The accent, <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Oh no, no! I mean, you know, hey, how you doing there, Bill? Yeah. So, so you know, so I, I met, I what, met. What are you doing like, with that chipper out back there? Oh yeah, criminy! You you got it down, Bill. <laughs> so yeah, you know, so um, you know, Delora and I, we uh, we moved to California, and um, I was in sales for a few years. She got a transfer back to Milwaukee, her hometown. I was sick of sales, um, and sales is. I, I'm glad I did it, but sales is a special kind of hell for introverts. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You, you know how it it sucks energy from you've got to be on stage all the time and yeah. But uh, in any case, I'm glad I did it. It, was, it really was a, a good experience for me. But I asked her, "Is it all right if I go to grad school?" Which you know she should have laughed if she'd ever seen my grades as an undergrad. <laughs> um, you, you you think I'm kidding? No, I hey, I'm with you. I, I'm, I was I was at one point. <laughs> I was put on academic probation, and then the following quarter, I followed it up with being declared subject to dismissal. Yeah. Hey, dude, two out of three here on this program right now, we have experienced uh, getting that letter that, that being invited to sit out for a semester or two. Yeah, well, I yeah. so I, you know, and yeah. since I, I had I had dreams of making the army a career, um, I thought, well, I better start going to class. And I was able to pull a tanking GPA up to a stellar B minus. Yeah, not too. That's but, pretty good, actually. You know, so it's amazing what you can do when you actually attend classes. Yeah, uh, shocking. Yeah. So, but I, I was able to interview. Thank God for sales. Um, made a good impression with <laughs> the graduate director, and um, there was no way that anybody would have remembered me positively as an undergraduate. And so I um, was. I used my my OERs, copies of my officer efficiency reports, mm. which most civilians don't know how to read. And so everyone looks like they walk on water. Got in, and I became the reform center in, in grad school. I always wondered how you got to Marquette. That that makes all that makes yeah yeah Weird. yeah it's, very, uh, it's very good. Yeah, so Marquette admitted me, and uh, I have a tremendous loyalty uh, to the school as well as UCLA. But uh, you know they. You know, UCLA and Marquette. It's too bad that you don't give a flying rip about basketball. I don't. I don't, I don't know, care about any right? sport. Yeah, I don't care about any sports. They don't. I, you know, okay. Yes, I, I. When when we play those other people from Los Angeles, I'll watch that game. I always cheer for Notre Dame when 
that school plays that other school. If I'm channel surfing and the Dodgers are on, say, in the World Series, yeah, I'll, I'll watch for a little while. Yeah. Or or the Chiefs, because they spent so much time in Kansas City. Right. Uh, so I've got an affinity for them. But honestly, I just... I, I just don't care. I'm I'm bored by them. They I've I've learned enough phrases and ter- you know, terms so that I don't seem like a complete illiterate when I'm talking to people. But now that my secret's out, the whole world, whoever whoever <laughs> watches this podcast or listens, now knows what an illiterate I am. I've, That's all right. Just I so you know, one of my manhood cards. Marquette Marquette's having a good they're they're having a good good basketball year. Oh, any home runs? Um, no, but they, they score some tries every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They hit a nice, uh, Hail Mary. From... <laughs> Even I get that. Come on. <laughs> so, but how, so how do you decide on, on, I mean, uh, on military history and, and what you get into specifically? I, that's, that's what I, I'd always been interested in. Uh, when I was in, um, high school uh, as a freshman, I took a course called Americans at War. And, you know, and I'd always had an interest in uh, military history. And I think it's probably safe to say that for anybody who does American military history or is an American and gets interested in military history, the Civil War is like the gateway drug. And so um, took this course and uh, the teacher's name was Barry Norcross. And Mr. Norcross was a fabulous teacher. He was fantastic. We used to use as a textbook the old ROTC uh, history, the single volume blue book. Yeah. Our text. And this was in what, 1975. And so we use that. The things that I remember still some of his lectures and I used elements of them when I was lecturing to undergraduates. And later on, I learned that uh, he was actually ABD. And he was he was working on a, on something in 18th century military history. Oh, wow! Uh, so I mean, I I was incredibly privileged uh, when I when I was uh, going to get my uh, getting my PhD. I made sure that I sent him an invitation. Uh, he he was one of the people that I definitely owe. He he inspired me. He would. Yeah, bring- that that fits with so many of the people we've talked with. You know, oh, yeah. ourselves included. Yeah, you know, yeah. had had yeah. a had a good prof that turned us on. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, you would you would have you would have loved this. He would bring in. He was a collector, and he would bring in antique uniforms, and he had a display case in the classroom. And so here's a dress uniform from the Indian Wars. I mean, wow. 1870 stuff. He even he had the he had the the helmet with the horsehair plume. Oh yeah. I mean, this stuff is worth lots of money. Had it in a locked case in the classroom. He would even bring in antique weapons. And so... Ah, the good old days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, here I, but here I am, you know, 14, 15 years old. And, you know, I, I had to put on cotton gloves, but I'm handling a, a Model 1873 single-action army. So, you, you, know, thank, you know, thank you, Mr. Norcross. Right. You are responsible for in large part for what I've done. The good so stuff. Is that, that kind of how you get then get into the war for independence era? Um, I, I, I developed an interest in it um, at, at, when I was an undergrad. So another, I, another way to put it is how do you, how did you avoid the civil war gateway drug? 
Uh, right. I, I was I was interested in it uh, when I was an undergrad. I did not take a course on the Civil War, but I did take two or three courses in early American history mm -hmm. from uh, Gary Nash and Joyce Appleby. Oh, wow. my gosh. Wow. 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 I mean, that'll do it. Yeah. I mean, at, at the time, you would have rightly assumed that their effort was wasted on me. But um, the uh, they they both had a tremendous impact. And so when I went to grad school, I was had a debate you know, internally. Uh, do I want to look? Do I want to focus on Civil War or the uh, or uh, early America? And um, I really enjoyed the professor that I had for a colloquium on early American history, uh, Bob Hay, Robert Pettus Hay, um, from Eagleville, Tennessee, Middle Tennessee. Thank you very much, uh, <laughs> as you would remind us. But Bob was, I would say Bob was probably the finest teacher I've ever had in my life. Mm. And um, I enjoyed chatting with him, loved his classes. And I thought, you know, if this is the guy that I want to work under. And so uh, he directed my dissertation and he gave me all the rain, all the leeway that I needed. You know, tr a great inspiration. You know, thank you, Bob. You know, it helps when when you work for under under somebody for your dissertation who kind of leaves you alone. Yeah. You know, and lets you let you work, let you let you do it. And 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 also kind of like a good parent or, you know, of course, that's coming from me with no kids and an eight year old, an eight year old black lab that's been banned from playcare for 10 <laughs> days. Uh, that's another story. That sounds like <laughs> Kelly, that sounds like a, a story that Kelly DeVries will tell you. Right. About the two of us <laughs> in Amsterdam. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Brian Brian Lynn's already concocting those stories for San Diego. Oh God. Uh, yes. Um, but but yeah, they you know that they you, they leave you alone and 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 will yeah. let you make some mistakes yeah. on your yeah. own to help you learn. Gary Hess did that with me at Bowling Green. He gave he either gave loosened the reins or he gave me a lot of rope. Depends on how you yeah. look at it. Yeah, yeah. Bob, I, I had when I when the the whole process started, I asked him. Uh, what do you prefer? Um, do you want a chapter every time I'm done? Um, how how do you want to receive as well? You know, a lot, any, uh, said, uh, a lot of a lot of professors and their students prefer to turn in a chapter at a time, get feedback, revise, yeah. send it back. Others prefer to uh, receive the whole thing once it's completed. Yeah, and I said, well, I, if it's all right with you, I'd like to just send it all in once it's completed i and he said yeah i prefer that so great yeah and and it uh, i mean it, what i what i ended up writing uh, what ultimately became for liberty and the republic it was going to be something else but then the evidence told me otherwise you know reading dead people's mail um these guys were telling me no 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 this is actually uh the way that it, that things turn out not as you see this big split that there's that they're actually these threads of continuity that run from 1775 through 1860. Right. Isn't it amazing how so often uh, the sources make you change your mind? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, but, 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 but shouldn't they, I mean, isn't it yeah. right. Is, isn't what we do uh, an engagement, a conversation yeah. with the dead. I know that sounds kind of bizarre, creepy to some people or maybe Adam's family ish. You know, we're, we're having a conversation with the dead and we're, we're interpreting what they wrote and we're trying to trying to understand their intentions and the, their worlds their mental and emotional 
um, landscapes and all that. And and so we're, we're interrogating them and, and trying to read between their lines. And so it does become uh, a conversation. In many ways, it's akin to what happens when one views art. And so it's, it becomes a, a dialogue between you and the artist. And even though the artist isn't directly speaking to you, they're doing so in a manner through what they put out uh, on, right. on canvas or through photography, whatever it might be. Yeah. Should yeah, we take well, our little faux break, Brian? Yeah, let's take a photo. Yeah, let's take our let's take our little photo break. So you recently published uh, "Feeding Washington's Army," as we mentioned. Um, tell us, you know, quickly. <clears throat> What you, you know, what you wanted to accomplish with the book? I mean, so much has been written on uh, on Washington. Uh, what what were you trying to do there that hadn't been done? Quickly? Really? Well, not well, well, you know, I mean, you know, give me your elevator spiel, because what we want to talk about after that is uh, the book tour. Woo-hoo! Um, <laughs> hey, so the, uh, the, the book actually came out of a teaching moment when I was back on the staff ride team, which I did for six years living uh, La Vida staff ride. Um, I was building a uh, Philadelphia campaign and uh, three days on the ground. You have to go to Valley Forge, right? Yep. Staff rides are inherently about movement, about action. You're at Valley Forge. It's static. So I asked, how do I induce action? How do I introduce action into this? And so while I was standing at uh, Anthony Wayne's statue by the Pennsylvania encampment, I remembered Wayne Bodle's uh, book, uh, Valley Forge Winter, which uh, for, you know it's over 20 years old and it's still the single best scholarly book on Valley Forge, bar none. And I remember him, some, him writing about the, how the army fed itself, started looking at his sources, uh, went into them, started doing some primary research and all of this to build a single stand on a staff ride. So w- what are we going to do for an hour here? Gathered enough stuff. Huh, I've got an article. Turned out an article. Uh, very happy. Won an award for it. Um, and that, that was, uh, that was uh, through uh, Army history. Mm-hmm. Kept digging. Oh, I've got more stuff. I can get a second article. That one came out in JMH. Uh, got another award for that one. Very pleased. You got two chapters. If you have two articles, you've got two chapters. Two chapters, yeah. 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 So, uh, what, so what I did was I wanted to look, I wanted to explain this, the, the Grand Forge of 1778. Nobody had ever looked at it on its own as a self-contained study. Certainly no historian. Now, there'd been a local antiquarian, uh, Frank Stewart, back in, I think, the 1920s, uh, at uh, Salem County, New Jersey, as I recall, who'd written the sole piece, a pamphlet that focused really on Anthony Wayne's efforts in New Jersey and then a follow-up by the British under uh, a command under uh, Charlie Mahood. But nobody had looked at the, the bigger picture in its entirety. Nobody who was actually a historian, nobody who actually was a military historian, and uh, so I decided to take it upon myself to look at this thing, pro- uh, what I think properly, and break it down. It was the largest single operation, the largest muscle movement of the Continental Army while it was at Valley Forge. And the delayed British response was the largest muscle movement of the British Army 
between the Philadelphia campaign, between the Battle of Brandywine on the 11th of September, 1777, and then the Battle of Monmouth that takes place under the command of General Sir Henry Clinton, why hadn't anybody touched it? In part, I think, because people just poo-poo logistics that, you know, it's like, oh, that's not as sexy as battles. We've got to have guys lined up with bayonets going stickety-stickety, let's go shoot-shoot and bang-bang. It's like, give me a break. I was going to throw in an expletive, but I decided not to. But you've got to understand the fuller pieces to understand military history. It ain't all just bang, bang, shoot them up stuff. There's a hell of a lot more. Preach, to- brother. That's what I was talking about in my class uh, yesterday, actually. Yeah. About yeah. Logistics so, in the war with Mexico. Yeah. Logistics. Yeah. 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 And that needs to be, I mean, that's one of the major yeah. reasons that, t- that Taylor peters out in the North. Exactly. You know, the fact that, yeah. you know, the, that the Americans discover, holy shit, the Mexicans will fight. Well, duh. Uh, in any case, um, and it's not just because of my name, but <laughs> but uh, nobody had touched upon this, but it really shows, in my mind, Washington's developing stri- strategic acumen, his decision-making simply to go into Valley Forge and his use of the councils of war. That really addressed Washington's development as a strategic thinker. Now, as a tactician, he was mediocre at best. You know, hats down, Sir William Howe, his superior. As a strategist, Howe was deeply wanting to be kind. Uh, He was much happier in the world of tactics. Give him strategy, give him grand strategy, and Howe turns rather reticent. Washington, however, gets it. And so we see Washington, the risk taker, even the gambler, when he launches the Grand Forage, he turns to his right-hand man, who, sorry to say, is not Alexander Hamilton. It's Nathaniel Green, the apostate Quaker. Yep. And he, he sends out Green on this expedition. And Green, who doesn't believe it, that the expedition will succeed, in the end, he's actually pretty proud of what he accomplishes. Although we don't have, at least I haven't been able to discover, um, what he was able to garner from the countryside but he writes with some justifiable pride to Henry Knox uh, after it's all done, uh, what he'd accomplished. Anthony Wayne does the same thing in New Jersey. You look at John Barry on the river. Barry is probably one of the finest um, officers of the Continental Navy. This guy is Johnny on the spot. And then you think about Lighthorse Harry Lee, you know, Captain Henry Lee, commanding 5th Troop 1st Continental Light Dragoons. This is a guy that you can turn to, go and do this. Here are your left and right limits. That's your limited of advance. And Lee will do everything that you want him to do. And then some, the guy is one of the best light cavalry officers of the war. And so Washington's really got the A team. So it was, I mean, it was, and so it, it revealed a lot about the leadership, the trust, the, the strategic acumen, the, the planning, the teamwork. Um, so much more about the maturation of the Continental Army's leadership. Uh, and who says logis- logistics aren't sexy? I got to tell you, you got cattle on the hoof, man. Oh, that almost sounds wrong. Sorry, didn't mean it that way. For those of you who are cochinos with dirty minds. But, you, I, you know, you nailed it in that book. You do it so well because, you know, you yeah, we poo-poo logistics or that's not what we want to get into or pe- people don't want to read about. But the way you presented it, 
is it's almost like you're you're underhandedly giving us logistics because the, the personalities of all those people you just described are so as stories are so powerful and so important. So the way you the way you craft that was was, sir, I think brilliant. I mean, Thank you. You, you really did it well. And, right. and you know, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, which is one of the reasons why you've done like, I don't know, 986 book talks. Only 985. Since since June. Well, you got one coming up this weekend, I'm sure. So tell, tell us about the, 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 the grand tour you've been doing. I mean, every time we turn on Twitter, you're there and somewhere talking yeah. to some group. And, and boy, you've been having, I hope, been having a good time doing it. You know, I have been taken aback in, all, in the best way possible. Um, I think I had two book talks for the first book because most of these are getting in touch with you right <laughs> yeah I, yeah they're getting in touch with you it's it's, it's been amazing um yeah. and uh it's it, since june when it when the book came out you know i think kind of cool it came out on the 14th of june which is the army's birthday i've committed to or done something like 34 35 in-person or zoom or podcast book talks um yeah and they they I'm really I'm really tickled and and the War College has been incredibly supportive of it. My uh, department chair, shout out to Carrie Lee of Dinas. Yeah, Carrie's great. She's awesome. Oh yeah. Yep. But um, you know, and my dean Ed Kaplan. Also. Yes, yes. Although he does poo-poo anything under a megaton. I know his book's good. That that's a good book. Oh yeah, it's fine. It's really fine. Good I mean, come on, Ed. What's yeah. wrong with guys in triangle hats shooting muskets, dude? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, and and uh, but uh, but the college as a whole, the leadership have been incredibly supportive, um, and I, uh, some of it's just, you know people have talked to other people, you know, friends talk to friends. Someone whom I've met, a real real delightful gentleman, uh, Austin Hepburn, has become something of a uh, an unpaid publicist. Uh, Austin's a member of the Society of the Cincinnati. He saw me give a talk at Anderson House, um, including my Bugs Bunny cartoon. And um, he uh, reached out to me, asked if I would be willing to um, sign some books. As it turns out, Austin is the senior male descendant, I don't know if I have the right term, of John Barry. So it's wow. like, this is so cool. I'm talking to the guy who's related to the guy that I write about, or one of the yeah, guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, and, and Austin is, is just a, a delight. He's a real gentleman, uh, really. And so he's put me in touch with other people, um, you know, the Sons of the Revolution um, uh, and so many other organizations. And, and it, it's just, it's really been a wonderful time here at the, at the War College in Pennsylvania. And doing these book talks, I, it's like, yeah, please read more history. You know, well, read I love when, when you're out there, you know, you, you give your great talk and you always have a, a, a tweet about that. But then it follows very shortly about wherever you're you're eating uh, <laughs> yeah, and having yeah. and having a beverage having cocktails. and having cocktails. So <laughs> you're, you're giving us a restaurant bar tour as well, uh, where, wherever you're going, which we, we enjoy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Why not have fun? Yeah. Yeah. For God, sure. I cannot believe that I get to do something that's basically my hobby. My father was utterly disdainful of history. And that's the kindest thing I can say. 
said when I, when I was an undergraduate uh, to uh, study something practical like business. Oh God. Um, <laughs> and read history as a hobby you know so i immediately thought of an expletive in my mind and uh went and decided to major in history and you know yeah i've had my ups and downs like all of us but this has been a blast by and large i don't regret studying history or doing it i don't regret reading dead people's mail and writing yeah. about well all the cool things we get to do and it the is people, and the people we we meet Jennifer and I were talking about the, the conference, you know, in, in Amsterdam, you know, the, the other day, actually. And Blast. I, told, I told her we were, you know, going to talk to you. And A, how good that conference was that show mm -hmm. put on there at the University of Amsterdam. Yeah. But, yeah. And Brian got, I got brought Brian his T-shirt sure. yeah. from his place. Yeah. But then just what a delightful time we had, you know, and of course it was Thanksgiving and, you know, we got to have a great Thanksgiving Indonesian dinner. With, oh, man. <laughs> right. Um you know, so I, yeah, it's just the stuff we get to do is really amazing. It is. And it, it you know, and it, it makes us better in the classroom. I, I, th I, I believe that. I yeah. Think oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. You know, I've, uh, in the, uh, over the course of my career, I've run into some people in power, not here, um, who think, who have equated training with education and they ain't the same, but who are incredibly suspicious of research and writing and publications because they don't have, they don't, they aren't really educated. They tend to view anything that's not keeping you always in the classroom as somehow skating or not doing things it's like bubba teaching informs research and scholarship and writing which in turn inform teaching yeah. Uh, yeah if if i'm a good teacher it's because i'm a good historian i'm a good researcher i'm a good writer i'm a good scholar if i'm a good scholar if i'm a good historian all that it's because of my teaching I steal stuff from my students. I feed off of them questions they ask, observations they give. Yep. Those things help inform the stuff that I do when I'm writing. Yeah. So there's a feedback. Anybody who tries to separate scholarship, research and writing from teaching, frankly, is a fool. And that's the kindest thing I can say about that. Anybody who believes in that dim-witted view that you have to do both to yeah. do either one well, I think. I think and both I, and both need to be supported. They do. And build your institution. I probably shouldn't offer that editorialized piece. <clears throat> well, Rick, let me let me ask you about uh, your experience in, in teaching. You know, you you started out at a at a regular academic traditional academic institution at uh, Texas Lutheran. Yeah. Yeah. TLU is a is a you know and a shout out to TLU and yep. my department and colleagues within it and beyond it. It's a wonderful school and i i got introduced to um really to collegiality and what it means to be a member of an academic community there i was really fortunate to go into a good department and then to help build a good department in the short time i was there uh, i still have very strong attachments to tlu even though i wasn't there all that long and that's largely due to the um the sense of community that 
was and continues to be fostered at the school. And right. So you're you're there. It's it's in Seguin, right? Yeah, Seguin. There you Seguin. go. I, I know we, you and I have talked about this before, but tell how you went from Texas Lutheran then into PME. Uh, TLU, like a lot of small schools, is tuition driven. And so mm-hmm. not a lot of money. And I honestly wanted to make more money. But I also, yeah, I also wanted or thought I wanted to um, spend a bit more time researching and writing. So I took another job at uh, Mountain Union College and um, better money, but still a 4-4 load. Wasn't able to do much. Um, I needed a break. Which also has a good football team, but you don't give a shit about that. So that didn't help either, right? Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't care less. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> it's like, Bubba, you're here to play football? You're here to read a, a book? You want an <laughs> education? Or you want to get a concussion? <laughs> Whatever. Maybe your, both. Maybe both. Yeah, <laughs> your choice. I, I was I was growing frustrated. I, I needed I needed a change. Sure. You know, I, I'd been I'd been uh, teaching uh, undergrads uh, tenure track both times. Got tenured at Mount Union uh, for seven and a half years, I think, something like that. And so I saw an ad um, for a you know staff ride job. I thought, okay, I'll apply for that. And honestly, I did not write the best application. Here I'm going to give away some seat. I mean, here I'm getting. I have I have my telephone interview. I'm sitting in my office, and I'm I'm literally I'm in my in a in my chair. I, I'm lean. I lean back. I'm swing swiveling from side to side as I'm talking, because I didn't really think I had a snowball's chance in hell. Next thing you know, I have no idea how much longer it was. It's like, hey, we'd like to make you an offer. Hey, I'd like to accept. Um, so, wow. Yeah, um, I I did that. And I, it opened my eyes, you know, it, it, it showed me how I could connect my formal academic preparation as a historian with what I had done as an army officer years before, particularly as a cavalry officer and and reading terrain um, and all these other things. And I spent, you know, as I said, living, you know, living La Vida staff ride six years. And I've, I've literally done hundreds of staff rides, uh, 50 Vicksburgs, 25 Gettysburgs. You've been in our neck of the woods. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I helped build Savannah the uh, and all that. Texas Revolution. Yeah, yeah. I, I built uh, the Savannah staff ride. That's going to be the subject of book number four. Not the staff ride, but the campaigns for Savannah. Mm-hmm. But taught me how to integrate the ground and for me, a staff ride is using the terrain as a classroom, but also as a primary document that we interrogate, much as we do a letter, much as we do a book, a photograph, you name it. And so understanding that the ground has been altered by Mother Nature, by man, learning how to read the dirt, as it were, and look at the subtle flows and understand as best one can what the actors of that age might have been thinking or understanding or seeing or viewing at that moment. And so trying best to to introduce contingency as you're walking and talking that battlefield or that campaign area. You know, if I can, uh, you know, throw out the the guy who um, was my sensei was Chuck Collins. 
a major retired U.S. Army, a former armor officer. Uh, Kurt King, major retired, another former armor officer. My first team chief, uh, Jeffrey Benny Goodmans, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Infantry. Um, Kevin Kennedy, Lieutenant Colonel, retired infantry. God, Kevin's probably one of the best staff writers I've ever met in my life. But these guys all helped shape me as a historian, um, shape me uh, for whatever I've been able to accomplish since then. So I, I can't say enough good about uh, th those guys. And we had we had some fun. Um, they taught me a lot. I hope I taught them. I hope I was able to contribute. Well, I think we should do some rapid fire, Brian. I think you're right. Rick, you've listened to a few of these, I think. So kind of got an idea of what's coming. We're going to ask you 10 questions. I'll ask you a couple. <clears throat> Brian will ask you a couple. And you do know that a couple is two, right? Yes, we, we do two at a time. Okay, I got it. <laughs> yes, yes. No, we, we, we do discern between a smidge, a skosh, and all that. So yeah. absolutely. We mix cocktails, too. I'm partial to Manhattans, as Bill yeah. knows. Ah, ah, yes. ah, ah. You don't like them? I, that's a question. And I oh. gotta change now. I gotta change questions. No, no, no. We'll, no, we'll we'll have we'll 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 have a discussion. We'll have a yeah. discussion okay. when we get to that. We'll get to that. You know Fire. what? Let's just let's just pretend it didn't happen. Then you can ask me. <laughs> Brian, go ahead. All right. What are you reading for pleasure right now? Yeah, like historians, it's always perverse because what you read for pleasure is ultimately part history. Of yeah. Yeah. Uh Evan Maudsley's uh work on the uh, on the, the war at sea during World War II. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a great big thick brick of a book, and it's it's fantastic. One of the things that, yeah, I work for the Army. I, I'm part uh, DNIS, Department of National Security and Strategy, is part of the School of Strategic Land Power, um, and I emphasize land. But I really cannot because of the way that the United States wages war, makes war, has historically traditionally done it. You know, we play away games. Yeah. I, become uh, very much, uh, I wouldn't say a navalist, but I cannot view military history or strategy without the lenses of naval warfare. Okay. Good call. All right. What about the uh, best work of history that you've read recently? Besides my own? Um... Yeah, besides your own. Why <laughs> <laughs> didn't yeah. miss a beat? Yeah. yeah what could... What could dare compete my god um i i i was re i was reviewing um for for some work that i'm doing uh andrew jackson o'shaughnessy's men who lost america oh andrew, yeah andrew has just done a bang-up job with that that's work. a fine book it is it is and if yeah. you ever get, get the chance to meet andrew he's he's really a wonderful guy but i i i, I enjoy his work i enjoyed his first his first book on uh the, the, the title of which escapes me, but it's uh, essentially the uh, asks why did the the West Indian colonies remain loyal during the war during the American Revolution, the War for Independence, and uh, just really a fantastic uh, study of that. Okay, this is really critical to learning about who you are. Oh, I don't know. You get to listen to only one band or singer for the rest of your life. Dave Alvin. Dave didn't Alvin? hesitate. You've never heard of Dave Alvin? I have. His brother Phil were the founding fathers of the Blasters. It was a rockabilly band, uh, 80s, maybe. In yeah, the Blasters. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. But All right. Dave, Dave Alvin, he's got a voice that is cigarette smoke, beer, and maybe whiskey. And he 
phenomenal songwriter, singer. If he's within a five-hour drive, Delora, my wife, spousal unit, sink house, commander-in-chief house, we'll drive. We will go to the concert. Cool. Okay. All right. Very good. Got to see Dave. Yeah. Like it. Uh, What are you binge watching? As if you have time. Uh, Let's see. I'm... Right now, Dolores visiting me from uh, while she's in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I've been re-watching uh, The Expanse, which is just great uh, in terms of the writing, the acting. And I'm told that the, the science is right on. I need to talk to a friend of mine here, uh, Stephanie, who is one of our, our who is our CIA rep at teaching in, in Dinas. And she's actually got a couple of degrees in rocket science stuff <laughs> and have her explain to me why the physics is right in the expanse but it also addresses so much stuff that we do in history particularly for somebody like me who does the 18th century and you get you know ages of empire colonialism and all that stuff right. so that, that speaks to me but, but, but um lately we we've been watching a spanish comedy series with subtitles thankfully i think it's called it's um what is it in spanish i think it's either macho alfa or alpha macho, but it's basically um, alpha male. And it's a story of four guys who live in, in Madrid, and it's a riot. And, you know, and the, it starts out with them in some seminar deconstructing toxic masculinity. Yeah. And the one, the, the guy, and one guy, at, you know, it's like, you know, they, they're all doing this confessional thing. Uh, I'm like, see, sí, you're sorry, machis, machista, and all this other stuff. And one guy at the end is like, Basically, this is bullshit. I'm going to go to the bar. See you there. <laughs> but it, it's it's really funny, and uh, we're, we're laughing ourselves silly. Good. All right. Better military leader, Frederick the Great or George Washington? How dare you, sir? <laughs> wow. That's a toss-up. Are we talking, do I have to, is it strategic? Is it, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Who am I going to piss off now with this answer? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? If no, if if we were to if you were to have asked in a cage match, yeah, <laughs> it's Washington. Yeah, he's got the legs and the height. He's got yeah. the strength. Yeah, you know, he's like America's superhero uh, when he's a young man. Wow, that is a really tough one. It's okay to say it's a toss up. It's a toss-up, man. Right. It's, uh, I, I, these are two guys I admire deeply, and they've got some real serious faults. But yeah, man, that's yeah. tough. So I, I know, I know that you like the Manhattan. Um, what is the key to a, a good Manhattan? I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, that you like. <laughs> <it. laughs> um, you know, I, I've had, I've had, I've had some really fine ones. I've had some appallingly bad ones. I was at a bar in um how many stories begin that way with Rick yeah all good smh <laughs> stories do there we were in a bar um but yeah at uh in, in alexandria i asked for manhattan and out comes this pink frothy thing what <laughs> the bartender i asked her what was up with this thing she said well it's the way that uh, the customers are asking for it what did you shake this yes no (laughs) why is it so pink Pink. she put in a buttload of cherry juice or what have you so and it was this 
foo-foo kitty sweet concoction. It was vile. That's not even a good craft cocktail. No, no, it was a crap cocktail. Right. No, it's oh my god. You know what? If you want, go to Kansas City. Go to Sean Moriarty. He's the bartender at the Majestic. Sean makes great cocktails. He'll introduce. He's got barrel aged cocktails. He'll make one for you there on the spot. He makes a fine Negroni. Um, mm. But you've got to have the balance. Uh, and you know, I, I like it slightly. You know, maybe instead of two dashes of bitters, maybe three or four. Um, and, and for the cherry, if you can afford the Luxardo cherry, do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those are much better. Yeah, I'm yeah. worth it. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. I've learned that from Terry, the, the friends I stay with in Statesboro. He's a he's a good mixologist, and yeah, he, always it, has, it, he always has the good good cherries. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, get get a get a good get a good vermouth. Uh, um, yeah. I've been, uh, I, you know, I, you know, Delon's fine, but there's some really uh, wonderful ones from from Italy and and even and Spain. And please use rye. Don't go with bourbon. It's that that just makes it too sweet. Yeah, fair enough. And if you and if you shake it. You deserve a beating, and it's served <laughs> up. Damn it! <laughs> now we'll go to your L, your LA roots. Right. Corner flour tortillas. Oh, corner flour depends on what I'm eating. If you're talking my own taste preference, yes, I prefer flour. And the place that I've been going to since I was five years old. And if you ever want to get one of the best burritos in LA. You got to go to La Azteca. It's on Brooklyn Boulevard, which is now Cesar Chavez. But I grew up, it was Brooklyn. It's on the uh, south side of the street. I can't remember the cross street, though. But it is just east of the Long Beach Freeway, which is the 710 today. It used to be the 7, but real Angelinos still remember the names of the freeways. Right. Many kids. Um, La Azteca is where my grandmother used to get her uh, flour tortillas. Although I remember she used to make them um, big Sonoran style ones. Um, right. Whereas, uh, but you know, it, it depends on what you're eating. There's certain foods that you have corn tortillas with. Certain ones that, that are that are flour. I taste preference. I just prefer flour. But uh, you know, good corn. I'm so happy. what? What's your as a side side comment here? Uh, what's your view on the idea that 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 gringos who want to appear like they're embracing the authenticity will always go with corn no matter what it is? You know what? If, if you if you like it, do it. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not the Mexa Nazi. Um, <laughs> I find personally find it irritating. I find yeah, it yeah, yeah. and irritating. Well, um, well it's I, like I, you know, you have to have this wine with this this food. No, you don't. Do whatever you want. Well, yeah, I mean, do what you do what you want. But like, but, like, but for example, um, you know, when when at least one, the way I I I grew up when when um, my aunt or my mother would make, uh, for example, pozole. Um, it, we would generally have a bolillo, which is a a, 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 a Mexican. It's a, a wheat flour roll, yeah. And um, and so that's what you eat with um, that. With um, certain foods, there you know you you have the corn tortilla and you and you roll it up. Whereas with a flour tortilla, you're tearing off pieces to to use it, similar to a flatbread, as right. in the Middle East. Yeah. 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 And, and I don't I don't pretend to be 
a culinary expert on on Mexican foodways or any of that. Um, yeah, it's it's something that I would uh, dearly love to discover. More. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, what's the best staff ride you've ever led? Best one. Oh, okay. Yeah, hands down. It was the last time I did Savannah for 3rd Battalion, 67th Armor, the Hounds of Hell, commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Dan Hodermarski, a former student of mine at SAMS. Dan prepped his people better than any other unit that I've ever seen in my life. Huh. And what uh, what we did was I, I, I gave him a copy of my walkbook, said, hey, assign a couple of stands to each each company within your battalion, figure out the doctrinal things that you want to emphasize before the battalion goes uh, to, to NTC, the National Training Center at Fort Irwin, as they prepare for deployment to Europe. You have them brief the stand, what took place, in other words, through the lenses of whatever those doctrinal pieces are, that you want them to emphasize. Hmm. And then as we get into the analysis, the so what, bring it full circle. Here's the so what, here's how the past informs the present and the anticipated future. And so um, John Curatola and I led this and um, uh, we'd set it up Hey, here's your card. Here are your cardinal directions. You're looking at this and over in that direction, that in that direction, and from there, the uh, the officers and senior NCOs of each of the companies that had their stands would take off, and it was magic. I mean, I I have never in my life seen a staff ride done that well where everyone was engaged. Uh, I so you know, kudos to you, Dan. Wow, kudos. Good. Kudos to the Hellhounds. All right. Yeah. All right. Your favorite non-history podcast. I don't listen to podcasts. What? I I I know, I know. I'm I'm a I'm a sad, pathetic human being. I, I don't listen to podcasts. I have no interest in sports. Um let me find another fault because you should always have three. Three faults, yeah. Um, okay. Well, we're we're gonna we'll try to send you a list. Of some, some yeah, I'm sorry. I've I, I've tried listening to them. I they just they don't do anything for me. I mean, I, I'm I, honestly, I'm, I'm an N, I, I'm an NPR junkie. Or yeah, there you go. There's, I, some, I, you know, there's some good NPR podcasts. but I don't. But you got you know you got to be in the. It's like for me. The only way I do it is because I'm in the car so much. Yeah, yeah, that's I mean, you know, that's me too. you got time. It's at time. Otherwise, yeah. yeah. But it, I mean, if, if I'm in the car and and it's if if it's not NPR I want to listen to, um, it, then it's then it's music. So I'm you know I've, yeah. I've got Alvin on maybe Tom uh Tom Robinson uh Joe Ely yeah uh, Joe Ely I've got got some got some jazz going on yeah I'm just um no fair enough oh, all right yeah. well, I'm gonna challenge right. you. My my podcast, uh -oh, uh -oh, uh -oh. my, my I, I, podcast life started with an NPR podcast. Um, right. It's called Serial. So go back it and was. listen, Serial, to the first the first podcast called Serial. Okay, um, and uh, it's it's good. It, it's it's right. 
I mean, now it's probably what twelve years old. Bill, did you read yeah. or, or, or yeah. listen to it back yeah. in the day? Yeah, I remember it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you ever if you're ever on a long plane ride or anything, uh, have have serial downloaded. All right. Um. All right. Final question. Everybody gets this question. Bill is a native Texan. I am a South Carolinian. We have um, differing views on on barbecue. We appreciate all styles, but uh, we have our favorites. Um, for you, is barbecue brisket or is it pork? Yes. Yes, both. All right, that's good. That's good. And, that's and, and I, I, I mean, nobody does brisket like Texas. You know, hands got it, got a hand there. Carolina style barbecue. I also like the mustard style barbecue. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's like I mean, you spent so much time in Kansas City. Gosh, you got all yeah. that too, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it it's uh, I enjoy it, but you know, honestly, I I'd kill for a good Mexican restaurant in Carlisle because there ain't one. Yeah, there's. Uh, yeah, I don't remember uh, being one. I mean, honestly, I go to Chipotle if I need a fix. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's tragic. You're yeah, you're that's tragic. You're, that's that's yeah. a pretty sad state of affairs when Chipotle yeah. is your go-to. So what's what's your go-to place in Kansas City for barbecue? Um, you know, I like Q39. What's it called now? Oklahoma Joe's, I think, or whatever that may have been. I can't remember. That one, that one's good, but I really like um, Q39. Uh, plus, it, you know, it's got a good selection of beer. Yeah. I like beer, but I like beer. Um, that helps. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not meant as a Justice Kavanaugh liking beer style comment. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I did say that. Um, <laughs> well, if you know, if, if I did, if it if it if it weren't for my, my mouth, I wouldn't know where to put my feet. But um, yeah, it, it, th- those are the places. We uh, Danny Edwards on Southwest Boulevard, uh, as as it used as it uh, when in its original location, it used to it used to have a sign outside said "Eat it and beat it" because it was very small. <laughs> but yeah, Danny oh, Edwards has, has some great barbecue. That and Q39, those are two of my favorites. Yeah. I won't tell you which one I don't like, but its initials are AG, too salty. Yeah. Yeah, you run into that sometimes. Yeah. 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 Well, Rick, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I think you you passed you passed the the, the rap fire with flying flying <laughs> colors, other than the podcast thing, but you know, we'll let that slide. Look, uh, that's it's... that's all right. That's I'm all trying. right. Um, you know, we 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 did we did, you know, through prior intelligence avoid sports questions. Yeah, so but you know, we wanted it, to help you out a little bit. It could have been amusing for you. Well, that's true. We could have had had even more fun at your expense than what we. Yeah, really had. that's fine. Yeah, but hey, thanks for taking the time. We really appreciate it. This was fun. absolutely. That's uh, a good time. Really enjoyed your story and 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 your your take on things. This is good. Glad we finally got you on. Yeah, sure. my pleasure. It was a blast. Um, yeah. I, 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 you're both going to the SMH. Yes. Yep. All right. Good. Good. Yeah, and um, in fact, we're on a panel on podcasting. Oh, very good. I want you might want to attend. Fine, I'll go to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank this you. Cool. Yeah, hey, thank, thank you very it. much. All right, Rick. Take, take care. care, man. All right, we'll take care, you. guys. Bye. All right.
Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Military Historians or People Too. Brian heads up the research department and our social media division, and Bill heads up production, editing, and Muzak. We're not monetized, and we depend upon you, dear listener, to help us spread the word about this podcast. So tell your friends, share on social media, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and wherever the heck you get your podcast. If you need an idea for your class, make them listen to military historians of people too. Give them some extra credit. Thanks for listening.